Hello and welcome to another edition of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is your host, John Jantz, and my guest today is Eric Reese. He is an entrepreneur in residence at Harvard Business School and author of a book we're going to talk about today called The Lean Startup. So welcome, Eric. Thanks for joining me. Hey, thanks for having me on. So, you know, that's a pretty cool title. What does an entrepreneur in residence do? (laughs) Well, it, it, it's, a, it's a title that's used quite often in venture capital communities. You know, usually it can mean an entrepreneur who's thinking about their next venture. But yeah. uh, Harvard Business School has done something I think very innovative, which is to kind of adopt that as a title, which allows them to bring entrepreneurs onto campus and have them be part of uh, working with students who are interested in entrepreneurship and also help in the development of the curriculum uh, at HBS yeah. because they're really trying to, to inject entrepreneurship and entrepreneurial management thinking uh, into their whole curriculum. It's pretty exciting. Cool. So does that involve you teaching some classes? I mean, not actually teaching classes necessarily, but but in that sort of classroom setting? Uh, a little bit. I mean, I, I would yeah. hate to take credit for the work that's going on there. Um, most of what I have uh, been working on is helping a professor named Tom Eisenman develop a new class called Launching Technology Ventures, which is yeah. built around the Lean Startup methodology, which I've oh, cool. been working on all this time. And so there, uh, you know, that, that class was taught for the first time this year uh, at HBS. And uh, Tom's actually a, a somewhat active blogger, so he's actually written about it on his blog and, and talked about the kind of the method he's used to develop the class. Mm-hmm. It's been very, very interesting experiment. So you just get to hang around and eat the good cafeteria food then. Right, right, exactly, and, and you know, spend time with students and host them when they come out to the Silicon Valley, and you know, just do do what I can to to promote the idea that entrepreneurship is you know is a viable career path, you know, for one. So it's it's something that we, we want to encourage students to consider, you know, not just the traditional career paths of consulting and yeah. banking, but also even people who are not going to become entrepreneurs themselves really need to have an understanding of entrepreneurship if they're going to function in our modern economy and so much of the work that happened in organizations of all sides, from small business up to enterprise, actually is entrepreneurship, you know, whether it's two guys in a garage or actually you know, a manager leading a, a new division or a CFO deciding to go buy a startup. If you don't understand how to measure and, and think about entrepreneurship, then you can't make any of those decisions particularly well. Yeah, you know, I think that is a fabulous point because I, I think that you know, if, if you're a – if you're somebody uh, um, listening to this and you're just getting out of school, or you're going through, you know, your your schoolwork right now, and you're getting ready to go to work for the the big company, uh, there's no question you make yourself more valuable with this thinking. I get asked because I I talk about this topic a lot. I get asked to speak uh, to a lot of university classes, and boy, I tell you, I'm I'm telling them that message all the time that, that I'm great. afraid That's some great. of the stuff they're teaching you here won't be of any use to you <laughs> when you get <laughs> get out there and actually need to use it. So. Um, yeah, so well, that's always what, true. What 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 is the the? I always you know obviously we're going to talk about a book called the Lean Startup. So uh, I always like to get a baseline. What is a lean startup by definition? Sure, um, the term lean startup uh, comes from the term lean manufacturing. So those who are listening right. are familiar with the Toyota production system and the kind of revolution in the 20th century that happened around the manufacture of physical goods and increasingly the way modern companies are organized. It's a much more uh, it's a production system that, that really unlocks creativity in each individual worker and helps companies eliminate the parts of their process that are really wasteful. That's really what lean means, the elimination mm-hmm. of waste and the promotion of value-creating activities. And so we are trying to apply that same kind of thinking, but to the process of innovation itself. Right. So, you know, one of the important lean dictums is that the customer is the most important part of the production line. 
uh, which means that everything we do in a lean factory, we want to look through the eyes of the customer and say, hey, would our customer care that we're you know, transporting all these batches of inventory around? No, of course not. They only care if the final product works, is cost-effective, and you know, is high quality. But yeah, in they don't really care what's easier for you, right? Exactly right. They, <laughs> what your process is, customers do not care. And therefore, right. using that lens, you can say, boy, a lot of the things we do in our factory, like because customers don't care about them, we could think about how to eliminate them. But in entrepreneurship, we often don't know who the customer is. So whose eyes are we supposed to look at our process through to figure out what makes, you know, what's valuable and what's not? So that's kind of the fundamental insight that gave rise to Lean Startup is that, uh, Entrepreneurship is actually a kind of experimental science where we have hypotheses, guesses about who the customer is, what the product's going to be, who our market is, you know, all these questions around what right. will happen in the future. Uh, but what we need to do is set up our organization to be a learning organization that is designed mm-hmm. that should go find out, are any of those guesses that are in our business plan, are they actually true? And yeah. if not true, uh, how do we find that out before it's too late so that we can adapt or what we call pivot to a new business? Yeah, that's become a... a um an almost trendy word right now with uh oh my god yeah. <laughs> uh, no question we never so, intended so that i apologize to those <laughs> who are sick and tired of hearing the word pivot already um but so we're not really talking about i mean you know there's some people that think of lean and they think of uh oh i don't know like bootstrapping i mean we're not really talking about yeah, the same yeah. thing are we necessarily no, we're definitely we? not yeah. it, it, it's it's it is more capital efficient if you're not wasting money Right. But people often get cause and effect confused. So, you know, yeah. if you think about like a, a physical body uh, as an analogy, you know, Lance Armstrong is lean, but he's not skinny. And the guy eats a lot of calories every day. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, consuming resources is fine as long as we're doing it efficiency, you know, efficiently with high metabolism. What happens, I think, where people get confused is we, since we have that canonical image of an entrepreneur as kind of the two guys in a garage, you know, crazy right. inventing the future, like, or whatever we watch in the movies, like Social Network or whatever. A lot of pizza you. boxes, right. Yeah, exactly. We think that means entrepreneur, and therefore we assume anytime we see two crazy people in a garage, oh, that's an entrepreneur, but sometimes it's just two crazy people. Yeah, uh, right. And conversely, it makes us feel like if we see someone in a fancy office or, you know, who has benefits or doesn't eat pizza, you know, is not on ramen noodles, well, they can't be an entrepreneur. But one thing I have learned, especially doing the research for the book, is I have just met so many entrepreneurs. They're so similar to each other in every fundamental respect. It really doesn't matter what kind of clothes they wear or whether they eat ramen noodles or not. You know, just all those things you see in the movies are actually surface phenomena that just don't matter. Well, so what? So, so do share. What are, what are some of the common characteristics uh, that you're finding? I mean, is it more about the way they think and, and the way they create value? It's actually about the the fundamental problems that they face. Mm-hmm. So I define a startup uh, in the book as a human institution designed to create something new under conditions of extreme uncertainty. Mm-hmm. And what was so interesting about that definition is it doesn't say anything about or you know, any of these irrelevant uh, criteria. And when I, when I met people who were facing that uncertainty, you know, it really, it, like something really clicked in the same problems, whether they were reporting to a venture capitalist or reporting to their CFO. It's like, I get a bunch of resources from an outside stakeholder. You know, and that stakeholder can be a CFO, could be a VC, but it could be my spouse who said, okay, I'm willing to give you six months or a year to go off and pursue this crazy vision. When you've yeah. got the resources... You promise the moon. You're like, we're going to have millions of customers, and we're going to make tons of money. All this great stuff is going to happen. We're going to change the world. 
And you come back six months or a year later, and you're like, listen, uh, about those projections, instead of yeah. millions of customers, we actually only have 100. And we're not making very much money, and you know nothing's quite going right, except we've really learned a lot, and we're on the cusp of a real breakthrough. Can I just have another six months or a year? <laughs> and let me tell you, it doesn't matter if you're, you're making that pitch to your spouse, your CFO, yeah. or your VC. That almost always is the last update you'll ever give. If the person you're pitching to is not trained in understanding how to measure progress in an entrepreneurial situation, because since we're so often wrong in entrepreneurship, usually our, our first idea about what the business is going to be is just flat out wrong. You know, failure is an inevitable part of the journey, and what we need to do is not just have a good story and say, "Oh, well, we claimed we learned something." Right? The CFO is like, "Well, how do I know you learned something versus you were just on a beach?" Or like maybe you learned something, but it's like academic learning. Who cares? Right, what right. we're trying to develop in a lean startup is a specific and quantitative methodology for demonstrating that we actually have learned how to change customer behavior over time. And therefore, even if we're on the long, flat part of the hockey stick, we can actually demonstrate that we're about to have it turn up and to the right, and therefore we should have more time, more resources worth doubling down. Or we can declare failure with a clear conscience. Well, and, th and this idea... Um because I'm, I'm gathering that, that, you know, I mean, this is becoming really a growing, there's a lot of momentum around this idea of let's get something out there, let's let the market tell us, you know, if it's broken, if they'll pay for it, you know, we'll take, uh, in fact, uh, um, you know, I interviewed uh, a couple of weeks ago an author of a book called Little Bets. Uh, you know, we'll take oh, sure. these little bets and try to innovate. Or, you know, the Techstars folks put out, you know, do more faster. You know, this idea of, uh -huh. you know, let's just iterate, 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 and and make sure that we're paying attention and measuring. Uh, but, but you know, let's not stress out over the business plan so much. Exactly. Yeah, I think the me the memo is starting to get out in entrepreneurial circle circles. Uh, you know, that this kind of older model. You know, I always tell people the the truth. Especially this was was very important for us to talk about at HBS. The tools we've all been trained in in our careers. You know, planning and forecasting and milestones. Those tools work as long as you have a long and stable operating history to base them on. <laughs> right. And I always ask rhetorically in these classes, anyone here feel like the world is getting more and more stable every day? <laughs> and everybody laughs. That's the joke. You know, yeah, of course, yeah, of course yeah, yeah. not. So what's happening is it's not that the tools don't work. It's that the environment we're operating in is changing and the tools aren't keeping pace. So this is yeah. kind of a new set of tools that's much more matched to our modern economy. Well, and, and you know, so often the real breakthrough comes from something unintended, right? Uh, you yeah. know, that, that okay. somebody started playing around with it and went, oh, look, this is how the product could work for me, and all of a sudden it's like, that's brilliant. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think that that's the part that's so hard. I'm sure in VC circles, you know, they probably just roll their eyes or, or worse, throw people out the door if, if, if you know, they have any kind of projections <laughs> that, that, are, you yeah. know, that are based on, you know, anything other than, you know, pure, pure fantasy. So, yeah, well, it's, it's actually a bit like great inflation. You know, we used to have this has been this is less true of the VC community as it's gotten more sophisticated. But there was a time when, you know, everyone knew that if an entrepreneur gives you projections, you had to kind of discount them a certain amount. Right. right so let's right. say you discount them thirty percent, but then entrepreneurs get the memo that whatever they say, it's going to be discounted thirty percent. So they ramp up <laughs> projections thirty percent, and then it's like, oh, I got to discount them ninety percent. You just right. see this, right? Exactly. So pretty much, you know, it gets to the point where where entrepreneurs are promising, you know, hundred million dollars in revenue, and VCs are like, oh, that means. Zero. At that point, yeah. the system kind of broke down. Yeah. Now, you have mentioned um, on several occasions that this idea of a scientific process, you know, with set principles. So um, I find some of those 
principles, um, you know, pretty interesting. Um, if you want to go through, you know, starting with, uh, I think it was entrepreneurship is management. Yeah. Is that the, is that the you know, first I, one? I, yeah, for sure. That that really is a, the basis of, of everything that I talk yeah. about. And it's actually just a straightforward consequence of that definition I gave you before. You know, if if an entre- if, if a startup is a human institution, that means that a startup is not an idea. It's not a product. It's an organization that requires lots of people to work together to create consistently new, interesting, successful products. So, like the organization of people, like the skill that that is, is what we call management. And the reason why it seems so weird to say that entrepreneurship is management is because we've been trained to think of management as a very 20th century, you know, milestones and Alfred Sloan, you know, kind of thing. Very boring guys in gray suits, you know, in a big company man bureaucracy. And what, yeah. what we're trying to teach, you know, not just MBAs, but everybody, is that there's a new, there's a new management in town. It's called entrepreneurial management. It's decidedly different from the older general management. But it's not a replacement. You know, there's still parts of the economy that can work where plans and milestones work and, in fact, are necessary. And we say amen to that. But let's not try to put the you know, square peg in the round hole. This halftime break is brought to you by Constant Contact. Constant Contact helps small businesses and nonprofits build great customer relationships with email marketing, event marketing, and online surveys. Visit them today at constantcontact.com. Dot com and sign up for your free 60-day trial. Well, and it's just the fact of the matter is it's not as sexy as saying we've created the next Groupon, right, and falling in love with the product or the service or whatever it is you do. I mean, I, I think that that, I think, for a lot of people has, whether it's pure fantasy or not, has a lot more uh, uh, sex appeal, don't you think? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I, I've come to. I've started apologizing in my talks because I talk a lot about management, and then another concept we'll talk about in a minute, uh, which I call innovation accounting. Yeah. And I'm like, listen, I know you came, you know, tuned into this podcast. You wanted to hear about the sexiest, coolest thing in the world, which is entrepreneurship. I mean, entrepreneurship has gotten so hot, yeah. so overhyped all of a sudden. Yeah. Uh, and so it's like, I know you came for something exciting, but if you want to make entrepreneurship work, we need to make it a lot more boring. Yeah. You got into the excitement. You know, those of you who've actually been in a startup know exactly what I'm talking about. Right, Entrepreneurship right. is very boring. Yep. You know, it's very tedious. It is hard. It seems hopeless most of the time. And the decisions that really, really matter are these, like, very boring, detailed decisions about, like, well, which specific features to build and, and which not to build. How exactly do we measure the data to understand whether we're on the right track or not? You know, those kinds of questions are excruciatingly <laughs> difficult boring but critical to success oh screw it eric let's talk about the ipo all right yeah (laughs) (laughs) so uh let's move to the next one because i think it dovetails with what you just said nicely i mean i think that 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 here's a step that a lot of entrepreneurs whatever we want to call them small business owners you know marketers uh miss and that's that idea of of you know validating what you actually are learning um and and i think that's another key Key principle. In fact, I think in some cases they don't even recognize what they're learning, let alone validating it. Yeah, you know, it's something that that is actually quite controversial in entrepreneurial circles. Still, uh, you know, like the idea of going faster and be more efficient and little bets. I mean, that, I feel like that's kind of the easier side of this to accept yeah. because you can kind of see a lot of you know see the evidence that it works. Learning, you know, what we call validated learning. This is really where we say, all right, this is going to be a scientific process. Mm-hmm. And if I came to you and I said, listen, I've got this great story about how I have this new theory about how electrons move around. And then you're like, okay, prove it to me. And you said, well, I'm going to just, 
yeah, let me just tell you a good story. It's yeah. like, that's not science. Right. You know, and if you go into a chemistry lab and you just start randomly flinging chemicals around and turn on some Bunsen burners and just kind of see what happens, that's not science either. In fact, in the chemistry lab, you're going to be dead pretty soon. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, in entrepreneurship, we often content ourselves with this kind of alchemy, pseudoscience approach. Just like throw things against the wall, see what sticks, hope for the best. Uh, and that's no better than astrology, as far as I'm concerned, because we don't really have a good sense of what caused what. Yeah. And so validated learning is to say, if we've actually learned something about customers, let's prove it by doing a next iteration of the product that conclusively demonstrates customers behave in a more positive way for our business than the one before. So a product is really just a catalyst that changes customer behavior. That's why we build products. If, you, if they don't change customer behavior, there's really no reason to build them at all. And then, you know, by having a theory about how, well, how customers are supposed to behave, then we, you know, we can kind of show, okay, we're, we're actually on the right track. We actually are on a path to a sustainable business. You know, and that's a really cool notion, too, because I think a lot of companies have died because they tried to change customer behavior too much with a product, right. right? You know, they created something nobody knew they wanted or needed. And, and I think that, you know, had they, had they ratcheted it back, you know, maybe it was timing thing, or maybe it was just, had they, had they learned and validated the learning that they could ratchet the product back or they could change it or repositioning, I, you know, maybe, maybe they'd be here today. Yeah. I think if you look at the most companies that fail, you know, it, it's not that they were too ambitious or not ambitious enough or too much vision, not enough vision. It's just, you know, and it's not that their strategy was like ridiculous on its face. Usually, it just depended on some wrong facts. Yeah. That you know, like, like some behaviors you can get customers to adopt, and others you can't. And maybe there, maybe there are behaviors that Steve Jobs can get customers to adopt, but you can't. And so it kind of doesn't matter what's possible in the abstract. The only question is what's possible for you and your team. Yeah. So, so even like no amount of market research could ever tell you, does our team have the ability to make this happen? And if you're not willing to kind of put it to that empirical test, I think you're basically doomed. Yeah, because there's, there's, you know, at the, at, you know, in, in the moment there are millions of variables. <laughs> um, so you that's know, right. Who's going to measure, or you know, who's going to be able to predict that? So let's go right into this innovation accounting. It sounds fun. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, listen. I, I know nobody wants to talk about accounting <laughs> because in our modern world, we have, when we think of the word accounting, we think of the people who make figure out where the money went. Yeah. We actually forget how important accounting is because we're so good at it. It's like a completely commoditized, outsourceable function. For us, it's like it's as natural as breathing. We can't believe it had to be invented. Modern accounting is less than 100 years old, which is amazing to me. Yeah. And so what we need is a new kind of accounting that's specific to startups. And the challenge is with startups, there's usually not enough gross numbers to do our traditional accounting. Mm-hmm. We have to be able to do the accounting on, much, on a much smaller base. So the basic scheme of innovation accounting is to turn our attention away from the outputs of that big spreadsheet in the back of the business plan and towards the inputs. So let me give an example of what I mean. If, if those of you who are listening on the call who have ever made a, uh, any of you who have ever made a business plan, there's, of course there's that spreadsheet in the back. Yep. And the spreadsheet, you know, has like this, you know, bunch of things. It says, okay, if customers, you know, a certain percentage sign up for our product and then a certain amount, number of them pay for it and then if we get a certain amount of money, you know, we extrapolate forward those trends and for five years we'll make $100 million or whatever crazy thing it mm-hmm, says in the end. Mm-hmm. And so if you think about it, in tiny two-point font in some tiny cell <laughs> on page 92 of Appendix 4 to our business plan is a box with a number in it and that number is 10%. And if I walk my finger over to the left, it'll be like, oh, I wonder if it's 10%. It's like 
percentage of customers who sign up for our free trial, let's just say. Now, although it's represented in, in Appendix 4 in 2.5, that's actually one of the most important numbers for our entire business. If I change that single number to a zero instead of 10%, then the entire business plan just became worthless. Because if customers will not sign up for the free trial, they sure as hell aren't going to do anything else right. in the sequence. So we call those leap of faith assumptions. Now, if you have a leap of faith assumption, you, you don't want to like wait until the end to find that out. You want to find that out as soon as possible. So innovation accounting says, no matter what the status quo is right this very second, let's go find out what the baseline data really is. So that's the first, what we call learning milestones in innovation accounting. The first step is, let's go find out right this second, is anybody interested in signing up for this free trial? And then let's say if that number comes back zero, then, you know, we're, we, we are doomed, so it's bad news. But better to have <laughs> bad news that's true than good news that we made up. Or bad news two years from now, right? Mm-hmm. You know, after you've been <laughs> charging down. That's even the, worse. The, the, that's right, even right, worse, right? right. Yeah. So yeah. then the second uh, learning milestone is we try to tune the engine. So now that we know that the number is currently 0%, but it really needs to be 10% for our business to make any sense, we start to try to make product changes to get it from zero to 10. Mm-hmm. And what's so hard for most entrepreneurs to accept is that that experimentation might be product features, but it might just be just what you said before. It might be positioning changes. It might just be a better landing page. It might be we have to talk to a different set of customers. It could be anything. Yeah. And we, but now we, now we can really focus our energy. We just need to get this number from zero mm-hmm. to 10%. And notice that that's a per-customer percentage. It doesn't matter if you have a million customers or 10, the ratio is 10%. So, you know, we show it to 10 people, if zero of them sign up, we start to get a little worried. If you show it to 100 people and still zero, it's like, boy, this is starting to seem like a very significant result. And then, so anyway, over time, as we iterate the product, one of two things will happen. Either the number will slowly converge from zero to 10%, like in each iteration, it'll be like zero, one, three, six and a half, seven and a half, let's say. Now, we've gone from zero to seven and a half in four or five iterations. You might say, you know, it's not yet 10%, but boy, it sure seems like it's getting pretty close. And so we have confidence that the things that we're doing as an organization are are actually making a difference in customer behavior. You know what? I think we're going to make it. Let's persevere. But sometimes this other thing happens. You you have a few early wins, and it goes from zero to 3%, and then it goes like 3%, 3 3%, 3 3.3%, 3.4%, 3.45%, 3.47%. And I swear to God, I have met teams that are actually celebrating that the number went from 3.45 to 3.47, because at least it's still up and to the right. Yeah. Right? It's like, well, we're making changes, and I'm still making the product better. But it's like, hold on. Was our goal to make the product generically better? No. Our goal was to make our business model work, and the business model requires this number to be 10%, and we're not getting any closer. It's like it's receding ever further into the distance. We're hitting the point of diminishing returns, and you say, you know what, at that point, I think it's actually pretty clear we need to pivot. And so that's the third learning milestone, right? Establish the baseline, tune the engine, and then number three, decide to pivot or persevere. And instead of allowing failure and pivoting to be like a crisis, we actually recommend that teams schedule the pivot meeting in advance. Just say, look, six weeks from now, we're going to have a meeting to decide if we have the evidence that it's time to pivot or not. So that way, it's not a crisis. It's perfectly normal to understand that sometimes we're going to pivot if we're on the wrong track. And then we can work backwards from that meeting to say, well, what information will we wish we had had 
at that meeting, and we can kind of think about, oh, we really will want to know, not just do we have a good sign-up rate, but can we affect the sign-up rate? And so that's innovation accounting in a nutshell. Awesome. Now you are, um, I don't know if you are personally or if you have uh, evangelists doing this, but you, you, there, there is a sort of a movement afoot through, uh, through meetups uh, to, to kind of mm-hmm. share and bring this information to, I, I'm guessing there would be startups, there, there you know, would be entrepreneurs, and there are people that are maybe you know, full in it. You want to talk a little? Uh, we're, oh yeah, we're, we're kind of we're we're coming to the end of our allotted time, but I I did want you to share that information because I think there are a lot of folks out there that might want to look one of those up and find it. Thank you, thank you for that. That's actually really important. Um, this this started out as an idea that I was blogging about here in Silicon Valley, and then it, it very quickly became this worldwide movement for change, which I don't feel like I can take any credit for. I mean, it's been a completely organic grassroots phenomenon by entrepreneurs in now more than 100 cities have taken it on themselves to create these meetup groups. And mm-hmm. uh, if you just uh, Google for the Lean Startup Wiki, you can see a list of all the different meetup groups. Or if you go to my website, which is just theleanstartup.com, uh, we have links to, to pretty much all of them there. And you can kind of see on a map and find one near you. And, and if you're interested, even maybe form one uh, in your city. And what's so important about these meetup groups is not only do they allow people to kind of get together and form a sense of community in their local entrepreneurial ecosystem, but they also allow people to form a community of practice for really sharing real facts about what's working and what's not. Because you can go sick on, you know, entrepreneurship blogs and news and advice. I mean, you can read about entrepreneurship all you want, Mm -hmm. but what really matters is finding out you know, not what worked in the abstract for some person thousands of miles away. What's really working in your community uh, for the people that you are in contact with so that you can build your own ecosystem and you don't have to be, you know, worried about emulating, you know, what you read on TechCrunch or, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. And so folks can just find actually by searching Meetup or or, or is it at the yeah, Lean Yeah, so, so go to my website, which is theleanstartup.com. If you scroll down to the end, we have a yep. link to the, to the like, official meetup list. It's actually lean-startup.meetup.com. But um, there's also a Lean Startup Wiki, which is maintained uh, by volunteers, where a bunch of, a bunch of the meetups are, are listed as well. Cool. Uh, so that's kind of two, two resources uh, to look at. Yeah, meetup's a great sort of resource, isn't it? Great tool. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, meetup.com is a big is a big follower of these ideas themselves. Yeah, awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining us, and look forward to uh, being able to share more about uh, your book in uh, the future. And hopefully, we'll uh, run into you out there. Uh, uh, you know, they don't invite me to Harvard Business School very often, but uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, you never know. Actually, I have a funny story. They. Uh, uh, 2005, I think it was when they, uh, you know, blogging was just coming on the scene. They actually had a, uh, it was probably through the, um, the review, I think, um, had a, uh, a list of, mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. recommended blogs. Well, of course, you know, 2004, 2005, there were only a handful of them out there. Um, so, uh, they, they actually for, for a, about a year listed duct tape marketing as, as one of their featured resources for <laughs> the Harvard review. So. I guess there's still hope for me. Well, there you go. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Eric, so Very much. Very cool. Appreciate it. Well, I look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks. And thanks for having me on. Bye-bye.